Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. In this election, Arizonans chose solving our problems over conspiracy theories. We chose sanity over chaos. And we chose unity over division. We chose a better Arizona. And we chose democracy. Now I am busy here collecting evidence and data. Rest assured, I have assembled the best and brightest legal team. And we are exploring every avenue to correct the many wrongs that have been done this past week. And when you look at uh, the chairman's job, the number one job, the only job of a chairman is to get Republicans elected during the general election. And uh, now this is two cycles where Kelly Ward has completely failed and taken her eye off the ball. Obviously, my naval service was has been very important to me and also my service at NASA. But the impact that this Senate over the last two years had on the American people and the future of this country cannot be overstated. We have a new paradigm here, and I think the country wants a, a different direction from the House of Representatives. And it's a new world. And, and yes, I'm going to uh, be nominated tomorrow to, uh, uh, to the position of Speaker of the House. And with me to talk about Arizona election races that have and have not yet been called, calls for the resignation of the state Republican Party chair and much more, our former gubernatorial candidate, Christine Jones. Good morning, Christine. Good morning. And Stacey Pearson of Lumen Strategies. Hi, Stacey. Hi. So, Stacey, let me start with you. Uh, We heard from Katie Hobbs at the very top of that montage. Uh, Did you see this one coming? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Katie has experience. She was on message. The brouhaha over the debate was wildly overplayed. And ultimately, Arizona voters continue to reject kooks. I mean, they they started in 2016 with the rejection of uh, Sheriff Joe. And we saw a Trump, Penzone, McCain voter then. And it's continued through this cycle. The loonies are not coming out on top. So what do you think led to this? You mentioned that, you know, obviously there's a big kerfuffle over the debate and the debate that didn't happen, which you say is overblown. But like, how how did she pull this off? I think Carrie Lake made a critical, fatal error the week ballots dropped. And that was an interview she did on CNN where she already committed to disputing the outcome of the election. And it was a Sunday interview. It ran for two full days across all of the national stations. And I think there were dozens of independents or undecided Republicans who saw that and said, I'm not doing this for another two years or another four years. We're not doing this again. Christine, what do you make of that? The fact that, you know, Carrie Lake, she had that comment. She had the comment about uh, McCain Republicans, you know, telling telling folks to you know get the heck out of here if you were a McCain Republican at one of her rallies. Did, were there too many sort of self-inflicted wounds for Carrie Lake? Well, the short answer is yes, but I'm not sure I would attribute quite as much weight to a CNN interview or, you know, sort of name calling with with the number of people that dislike John McCain in this state. I think the fatal flaw came when she continued to talk to people who were already going to vote for her. And rallies are fun and they make you feel really good and, you know, you get so much wonderful positive feedback. 
But if you went to any of those rallies and, and did sort of a, a non-scientific view of the crowd, there were very few undecideds and very few Democrats in those crowds. And that's really who she needed to be talking to. She needed, needed to be the warm, likable, thoughtful person who had talked to people for 20 years. And we didn't really see a whole lot of that after ballots dropped. And I think that really was a mistake. She didn't talk to the people who weren't decided. Well, Christine, why do you think that is? Because after the primary, there was so much talk about Carrie Lake pivoting, and she kind of stopped talking a little bit about the 2020 election, started talking a little more about policy, seemed like she was trying to work towards, you know, getting maybe skeptical Republicans, independents, maybe even some Democrats on board. But then, as, as Stacey mentioned, like once ballots dropped, it seems like that kind of went out the window. It sure seems like it, and I don't have any firsthand information. I didn't talk to her about what her theory was there. But, I mean, we've discussed here in prior weeks that she would be talking about water and the border and health care and mm -hmm. all of the things that are super important to a majority of Arizonans. And we heard it for a blip, and then we heard, you know, sort of going back to the, the talking points of the primary election. So I'm not sure what the theory was there other than internal polls in the late campaign showed her so far ahead that she felt like she would go back to her comfort zone, perhaps. So, Stacey, I apologize for asking a cynical question about politics, but I'm I'm curious from your mind if there's more if this race came down more to Katie Hobbs winning it or Carrie Lake losing it. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it, it is a combination of both. What I find so remarkable in this cycle, again, is that Democrat, less than one in three Arizona voters are registered Democrats. And so the fact that Katie Hobbs and Mark Kelly and Adrian Fontes are even contenders speaks to the fact that they did win something. They, they won over a moderate voter. Um, but that said, you know, certainly the reflection on Katie's campaign is going to be critical. What could she have done better? Could the 20,000 vote lead been 40, 40, 80? It, it, certainly there's going to be some reflection there. But the fact that she's even a contender means she won over groups of people who typically don't vote for Democrats. Right. Christine, what do you make of that? Do you see this more as as Katie Hobbs winning the race or Carrie Lake losing it? Well, as Stacy says, it's a fantastic question. Uh, there was so much talk about Carrie running away with it. It probably boils down to her losing it in the end, as opposed to Katie winning. We didn't hear. I mean, I'm one of those people that that Stacy describes. I heard nothing from Katie Hobbs. I didn't get mail from her. I didn't get phone calls from her. I didn't get emails from her. I didn't get text messages from her. <laughs> I heard exactly nothing from her if she wanted me to cross over and vote for her. So I think in the end, it probably does boil down to Carrie Lake losing a race that was hers to win. And, you know, it, it does have to go back to what do people want to focus on? Do they want to focus on 2020 and something they can't change? Or do they want to focus on now and things that, that we can do something about in the future? So, Christine, what do you make of what we're hearing now from Carrie Lake in terms of, you know, collecting voter stories and data and, you know, threatening lawsuits and not conceding? And it seems like she's kind of taking a page out of the Trump, another page out of the Trump 2020 playbook here. Well, that wouldn't be unusual because a lot of pages from the Trump 2020 playbook have been used in that campaign. But I, I think there are some compelling stories. 
there are videos of people who said, I tried to vote and I didn't get a vote. And you know, I was in line and I, I, I wasn't able to successfully complete that, that effort. Those need to be fixed. We can do a better job and we should. We should make sure that every single person who wants to vote gets to vote. And Maricopa County, let's face it, Maricopa County has egg on their face. They should have tested these machines. They should have had toner in the printers. I mean, this is basic stuff. So all of those things matter. But like 2020, it sure doesn't seem like there's enough votes out there that weren't counted to close the gap. And I think that's the real the real question here. Well, that does seem to be the issue, right? Like any election is going to have some kind of issues. Nothing works perfectly 100 percent of the time. So it seems like the question here, Christine, is like, is it enough? Is it, you know, 16, 17, 18,000 votes worth that could potentially change the outcome here? Probably not. Now, I take this very personally because I've been through a recount in a race that was divided by nine votes. Right. And in that race, the difference would would have been, uh, you know, a, a victory for me or a victory for Andy Biggs. So it, there are races where that matters in the attorney general's race here in Arizona. Now, I think that that is something that we should be paying attention to. But certainly it it doesn't appear just from an objective standpoint, and I know Republicans will hate me saying this, it doesn't appear that there are enough people who wanted to vote who didn't get to vote or whose vote wasn't counted because their signature didn't match or it was uh, you know wrong precinct or wrong ballot or something like that to close this gap. And it's again, what I've said a thousand times, let's please stop focusing on things we can't change, acknowledge who won and move on and do a better job in the future. Stacy, do you get the sense that Democrats are at all concerned about the possibility of lawsuits coming from Kerry Lake? No, not at all. And certainly we've looking at this, their legal strategy after the 2020 election, there is no daylight there. And I think the Republicans, particularly the far right MAGAs, need to look at their strategy in discouraging their voters from mailing in their ballots. I mean, the problem that happened on Election Day, in large part, impacted people who the Republicans told not to vote early. And regardless of the, of the concerns about mail-in ballots, folks could have gone to an early vote center and voted in person. And it baffles me that the strategy has been, or the direction has been given, to not make voting convenient for their own base. And so this is somewhat of a self-inflicted error or a self-inflicted wound again. Stacey, we're obviously going to talk a lot more about this as we get closer to January, but I'm curious what you think a Lake administration, I'm sorry, a Hobbs administration is going to look like. Sorry about that. A Hobbs administration. She (laughs) will be the governor, but obviously the Republicans still control the legislature, still, you know, one seat margins, it looks like in both the House and Senate. But, you know, we, we have been sort of down this path before with a Republican legislature and a Democratic governor. What what do you think that Hobbs might be able to get done? I think that this legislature is going to learn a very quick lesson about the power of a veto and the power of a special session. So if if her if her transition team is any indication, um, and her transition team is Mike Hayner, who was a Napolitano alumni, mm-hmm. member of the Napolitano Pol- administration, and Monica Villalobos from the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Those are folks that have experience getting things done. And so I think they're going to 
place a premium on experience and success and crossover outreach and business acumen. And I think we're going to see some of the problems that Arizona schools or Arizona um, healthcare has been facing solved. So I'm excited. I'm Mark Brody in Phoenix. My guest this week, Stacey Pearson of Lumen Strategies and former gubernatorial. And as we heard, congressional candidate Christine Jones. Christine, let me uh, go to you. You mentioned the attorney general's race, which uh, at last check was separated by, I think, 236 votes. A lot of folks, uh, at least those of us with nothing better to do, obsessively hitting refresh on the secretary of state's website last night, seeing it go down. I think it went down to 50 some odd votes at one point before sort of fluctuating back and forth. Where do you see this race? ending up, given the number of votes that we think are left out there? Well, if you have 10,600 votes left, which is what the Secretary of State's website estimates, it, it's really, it's anybody's game, right? Because 8,000 of those are from Maricopa County, and we know the percentages that the Republicans have been getting from Maricopa, but another 2,000 are from Pima. And so, I mean, really, it boils down to a few hundred votes, plus or minus. So I, at this point, and this is not like me, I can't call it. I, mm. I can't say what I think is going to happen there. I mean, definitely Hamaday has the numbers to, to get a few hundred ahead. But, man, I, I think it's anybody's game right now. So take us back, as painful as it might be, to, as you said, you were in a very, very close race uh, when you ran against uh, Andy Biggs. What are these candidates going through right now as they're waiting for these votes to come in, knowing that, you know, even just like 30 votes could really swing something at one point? It's impossible. And, you know, I like to say behind the the pretty poster and a picture of a, a candidate is a real life human being and a family and people who supported them. And they're, they're going through an excruciatingly difficult time right now, especially in this cycle where we've seen the numbers go up and down and people shift uh, lead changes. It's really difficult. And they're maddeningly running numbers a thousand different ways to see, you know, is there still a path? And clearly there is still a path for both of the candidates in the attorney general's race. So it's it's tough. And, you know, you don't want to lose by a few votes. You don't want to lose by a few hundred votes because surely you could have rallied a couple more people to get out to the to the voting centers to vote. And it's really it's painful to go through this as a candidate. Yeah. I wonder if in some ways it might be easier to lose by, you know, a couple thousand votes or 10,000 or, you know, more than that votes than to lose by like less than 100 for sure, right? So in my particular race, I was leading by a thousand votes on election night and it was basically my my game. And, you know, that gap continued to close. You would have just rather just been obliterated and not have to worry about it and, you know, move on with your life. I, I think there's some, <laughs> there's some truth to that, right? Although, you know, it, it is fun to still be in the hunt and I'm sure Abe Hamadi is, is still convinced that he's going to win. Yeah. So, Stacy, how are you seeing this race? Uh, Christine, not willing to make a call. Do you have a sense of how this race is going to go? I completely agree with Christine. It's it's too complicated to make that prediction. And I mean, I lost my freshman class president race many moons ago, and I really never got back <laughs> in. I might, I'm not sure I ever recovered from that. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I feel for those folks. And it, you know, I, I mean, it's it is it is uh, excruciating. 
Well, and it, it's so interesting because there's been so much talk about MAGA candidates and Trump-endorsed candidates not doing well here in Arizona and across the board. But here is one in Abe Hamaday who could very well end up winning and having a pretty important role in state government. Absolutely. And, and I think that is what Democrats are most concerned about. I know me personally, I, it, you know, if we've if we spend the next two years litigating nonsense, um, I think the state will be worse off for it. So, Christine, I want to ask you about uh, Kelly Ward, chair of the state Republican Party. Uh, there have been calls uh, for her to step down. We have heard that maybe she's not going to run uh, for another term. Uh, we had uh, Robert Graham on this week, a former state party chair who was didn't really mince his words about how she really has not done a very good job in this role. What do you make of the fact that that folks are seemingly coming forward now and saying, you know, we think it's time for a change here? Well, you have to acknowledge that the state party is designed to run precincts and run legislative districts to go knock doors and go get people out to vote and win win races. And she hasn't been successful in that, at least not at the state level. Now, maybe she says we picked up a seat in the House and, you know, we've, we flipped the, the balance of power there. So she has some feather in her cap. But I mean, all of our top statewide offices are held by Democrats for the first time in a really long time, and that is not a good look for her. So, you know, there's probably a little bit of self-congratulation by the people that are calling for her to step down, right? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of getting getting pressed for themselves. But honestly, the best thing for her to do probably would be to not run again, because uh, to Stacy's point, running and losing is, is, is painful. She's not going to get over that. And, and she views herself as being very well liked, at least by the extreme right uh, conservative branch of the party. So, Christine, do you think that that if she is not chair of the Republican Party, does that change the party that much? Will it will it not still be run by folks who, who think like Kelly Ward, sort of the Trump wing of the Republican Party? Well, this is the conversation that's going on internally, is what candidate could we find to, to run the party that appeals to both conservatives and moderates? And is there a way that we could actually have a leadership that would bridge that gap? And it's tricky because there's a lot of distrust. There's a lot of dislike. Uh, we just saw Katie Hobbs win an election because some Republicans must have crossed over, right? So that we, it, it's a really, really challenging question. I get calls all the time from people saying, who do you like or, you know, are you interested? And by the way, the answer is absolutely not. But I, I do think it has to be somebody who is a is really good at leadership and is very friendly with both factions. And that is a tough nut to crack in the Arizona GOP at the moment. So, Stacey, I'll give you the opportunity to uh, weigh in on internal Republican politics here. Um, do you see there being a candidate? Um, you know, you can name names if you want. You don't have to. But do you see there being a, a candidate who could run the party, as Christine said, who could appeal both to sort of the, the Trump Republicans and more of the, the moderate, more maybe establishment Republicans? Certainly I haven't. And we we work often with our Republican counterparts on various projects and and even some crises. Um, I don't I don't see anyone building that bridge and that ultimately benefits Democrats. I mean the the Democrats in Arizona for a very long time were the party of chaos, was the party of chaos. And the fact that that baton's been passed to Republicans is really good for progressives like me.
I mean, is there a sense uh, in Democratic circles of like maybe they want Kelly Ward to stay on? Because, as you say, like it has been kind of good for Democrats electorally that, you know, that she's in charge of the party. I mean, ultimately, look, I'd like to say yes. You know, the the fast answer is yes. Of course, we appreciate chaos in um, our opponents, but it's just not good for the state. And ultimately, some of these kooky candidates squeak through. You know, a, a Tom Horn, for example, who I think is wildly unqualified to lead our education system. Um, you know, some of these kooks squeak in and that's not good for the state of Arizona. And so as much as I'd like to say, yes, you know, keep the circus um, performing, I would really like to see my counterparts uh, on the other side of the aisle get it together. Hmm. All right. So, Christine, we have just a few minutes left, and I want to ask you about, uh, we talked about some race, uh, races that were very close. Let's talk about one that was not particularly close. Uh, Andy Biggs made a run for House Speaker. This was just within the GOP uh, caucus in the House. So, you know, still uh, there's going to be a full a vote of the full House. Uh, the reports are that he lost 188 to 31 to uh, Kevin McCarthy. Now, in, you know, a statewide office, that's a really, really close margin. Within a, a caucus in a political body, that's not a particularly close margin. I'm curious what you make of the fact that he decided to run for House Speaker and what the result was. Well, it was predictable. There was never a chance for Andy Biggs to become the Speaker. That just was not going to happen. <laughs> no matter how you whip those votes, it was never happening. But because in Washington, nobody does anything without an agenda, he must have in mind some leadership position or some committee chair that he wants, you know, that he's going to try to negotiate with McCarthy on. But I would caution Biggs, and I'm sure he doesn't want to listen to me, but you remember what happened to John Shattig when John Shattig tried this. He was marginalized for the rest of his time in the House. And, you know, I think it was a a big strategic mistake on Biggs' part to do this, given that nobody, nobody thought that he had a chance to win. Given the margins in the House, though, with Republicans expected to hold a single-digit lead, can like can the speaker afford to marginalize anyone, you know, someone like Biggs or anyone? I mean, d- does the speaker not need every last Republican vote he can get? Well, for sure. And every vote is going to come down to one or two people. You know, you're going to have your cinema mansion contingent in the House, I suppose, and the Republican caucus who are going to become very powerful. By the way, I think that happens in the Arizona legislature, too, with the, the narrow margins there. But the you're going to end up making people very powerful who are very difficult to get on board for some of these votes. And you're right, it, it, you can't really marginalize entirely anybody when you've only got, a, you know, two or three vote majority. Yeah. So, uh, Stacy, Andy Biggs is not somebody who is usually shy about uh, expressing his beliefs. And he clearly thought that he was the right person for this job. He was the chair of the Freedom Caucus for a little while. What, what do you make of the fact that he, he decided to, to run for this? And do, do you agree to an extent with Christine that maybe this was a, a strategic mistake on his part? Oh, absolutely. And, and really, the echo chamber that he must be in is one I can't quite wrap my brain around. I mean, the if someone, if he was getting advice, go for it, shoot for the moon, let's go. You know, when when there when he ha- actually had a pretty decent challenge here, um, in his district, I think is just bizarre. So I don't know if he's, um, you know, if he's associating with folks outside his bubble as often as he should be, but he might want to reach out and and talk to some moderates. 
Interesting. All right, we'll have to leave it there. That is Stacey Pearson of Lumen Strategies, also joined by former gubernatorial and congressional candidate Christine Jones. Thanks to you both for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.